The stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comer, your host, and each week, the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. Today's woman was raised in a very educated family, and everything about her environment supported creativity. The house was full of books, and as a child, she wanted to be a composer. At the age of six, she was teaching other first graders, and she started writing short stories at the age of nine. And in college, she studied psychology, business, and classical singing. And as an adult, she became an accomplished in spaces women weren't normally seen. She became an investment banker and a serious composer, and she eventually opened her own company to manage her abundance of creative material. Today, she continues to walk a path to greatness as she gifts the world with her many creative accomplishments. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Georgia Shreve. Hi, Georgia. Thank you for joining me today. Hi. How are you? I'm wonderful. I'm so so glad you're with me. introduction. Yeah, and, and, and you are a beautiful woman, and I can't wait to mine all this wisdom, wisdom that you have. So we have little time together, so I'm going to jump right on in. Okay, great. So you have been such a pioneer in so many creative spaces. What advice would you give to other women who are challenging the norm as pioneers? Enjoy challenge. Uh, activate challenge. Uh, cultivate challenge. Uh, it's very exciting, and it uh, inspires you. Uh, I wanted to be one of the very first women in investment banking. It was the field that the most brilliant people in business school were getting accepted in, and I wanted to be one of them. But there's a but there, wasn't there? But it was very hard. And, you know, sadly, some, some of the men were very supportive, but the women were not because they had had such a hard time getting into that field and they were felt a little threatened. I think there were exactly three, four, five women in investment banking in all of wall street when I went and the one in my firm, uh, first Boston was very unkind to me. She used to gossip in front of my desk to keep me from being able to work. So I hate it when women don't support other women, they can be very competitive but we deserve and should support each other. We need it. So I'm, I'm going to dig a little deeper on this, Georgia, because this is certainly you have experienced this many times as you have knocked on doors that women don't normally knock on. And, and that is what you just mentioned, this, this lack of support from other women. How do you think we can do a better job of that? Because I think that's still an issue today. Well, certainly we can raise young women to not feel that way, to not to feel that everybody can succeed. It's not, you know, you don't have to stand in the way of everyone else because you can. There's enough for everybody to enjoy and to receive honor and accomplishment. But in those days, we felt that there were only going to be three women in investment banking. And when I was in business school, there were five women in my class. And we stayed in touch for years and years and years because we knew we needed each other for support. Interesting. Do you think we do a very good job as women in terms of sponsoring other women? 
Well, and what I mean by that, meaning that if opportunities come up the, for women to advance, that we are vocal in saying you need to consider Jane for that because she'd be awesome, or you need to consider Marianne for that. Do you think we do that very well? Not enough. You know, for instance, there are very few women composers. I've never had a positive uh, input from any of them. I think it's such a tight field for women that they're afraid, again, that there's only so much space for women. And if they encourage another woman, uh, that will cut into their space. It's really sad. It's in fields where women are just breaking through. And composition, it's certainly a case. It's hard enough to deal with the men, but the women aren't as wonderful and, and supportive as they should be. So during your 28 years of marriage, your husband was often jealous of your success. So how did you deal with this jealousy and did it impact your ability to succeed? Very good question. Well, he was very jealous of my musical ability. And so he, I finally gave him a guitar so he could feel like he was doing something. Unfortunately, he played it constantly and very badly uh, and was embarrassed all of us in front of groups, but that was really sad. And he would argue with me when I was talking about a composer and tell me that I didn't know what I was talking about. And just a really, it's a shame not to be supportive of each other. It accomplishes nothing, but I was very supportive of my sons so that they would have the confidence to go out and do interesting things in the world. And I think that really helped them. Their father had a tendency to put too much pressure on them. But I just gave them a lot of warmth and confidence and, uh, and it, it uh, gave them the will to expand and do the most they possibly could. And, you know, and this emotion of jealousy is really uh, a dark side to us, isn't it? It is. Of women with women. Is, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's very dark. You know, I think that women compete on a few things. Looks, money, intelligence and education, of course, and creativity. And if you have all those qualities, they're not very nice to you. And you have to really seek out the women who are very secure in themselves. And I end up being with a lot of younger women because they don't have that hang-up. They didn't have to rise up during a difficult period. They know that there's room for all women to be happy and to succeed. That's a joy to hear that the, the other generations maybe are doing a better job than we have done. With well, that, you have to be the only person who got into the program, the only person who was hired. And of course, being uh, one of the very few women in investment banking, you had to be very careful not to be to seem at all flirtatious. I had to dress practically like a, a policewoman to make sure I didn't get hit on. One day, uh, I slipped, my mascara slipped, and I got it. I hurt my eye. And they said, that would never happen to us. I mean, they, they were very quick to point out that they didn't have these weaknesses, so-called weaknesses in the So um, it was very difficult. Yeah, I'm, I can guarantee it was. And, and you, have, I'm going to stay in this space of, of personal for just a second, because in your office that you have, you have a rule that is, says there is no negative self-talk. Yes. My question to you is, do you find yourself having to fight to honor this rule at times? And how do you stay in this positive space that follows your heart and mind? Well, first of all, I only work with people who abide by that. 
so there's no uh, role modeling of it around me. And secondly, um, I know how, um, how much it can undermine what you're doing. I learned it from uh, my professor, uh, Martin Seligman, who sort of pioneered the whole area of positive psychology. And I learned so much about being positive and supporting yourself as well as other people and having um, attitudes of feeling like you could accomplish anything if you really tried. It's a wonderful feel that way. How do you stay in a positive space that not only being positive, but that follows your heart and mind? That's very well put, that question. And um, I think that it's especially hard in New York. People are drawn to New York. Real narcissists are drawn to New York because they want power. They want to be famous. They want money. So it's a very difficult place to be around men, especially, who are drawn into that. But I think that you can create your own bubble of positive people and stay in that. And that really protects you in some ways. You don't hide, but you draw positive people around you. And you kind of um, you have sort of a force that draws them into you so that you can have that positive spirit around you all the time. And, and I'm, I'm going to dig a little bit deeper on this because you said something that um, has perked my curiosity. And that is that, you know, we both know it is so important uh, of who we surround ourselves with. And, and who gets into our energy space. So before I leave this question, how do you control who gets into your energy space? Well, I do a lot of entertaining at home, and I invite exactly who I want to have. Also, I stay around people in the arts. They can be competitive, but they also have great joy and a sense of accomplishment in the arts. I, I know a lot of musicians, writers, uh, and creative people can be competitive with each other, but they have a kind of, musicians have this kind of joy in their heart and the sense of uh, excellence and never letting down that sense of excellence and supporting each other. I mean, think about an orchestra. They can't exactly go around undermining each other. So they learn in music school how to cooperate and how to work together to make the best that it can be. And I never thought about that. It's yeah. important. Yeah, it's very important. I just never had thought about an orchestra that way, but you're exactly right. If one of them's not in, in tune with everybody else, it just messes up the whole thing, doesn't it? It makes everybody look bad. Really. It makes everybody look bad. <laughs> so through the years... Through the years, you told me that others have often tried to undermine you. So I'm curious yeah. as to how this showed up, and did it ever stop you from moving forward? Uh, well, I think it started with my mother and my sister, who were very jealous and tried to get in my way. I went to Stanford when there were like 100 women and 1,000 men in my class. And the women were butting up against each other over men, over grades, and everything like that. But we, I would seek out women who could had something to offer to give me and who were different than I am, but could be strong in different areas. And that you, you gain from people who are strong in areas that you're not. So that was very positive. But mm -hmm. again, there were so few women. And um, we just had to really speak up for ourselves. And you go to a class and there are two women in it. So 
you just had to um, have confidence and ignore people who are trying to put you down. So did you find at times that your feelings got hurt? Oh, absolutely. I, I am easily hurt by people being mean to me because I don't have a mean bone in my body. So it's such an alien force to me that it really, it really gets to me. So I try to have a, you know, a thicker skin, but I'm not really good at thick skin because I think most artistic people have to open themselves to the universe. They have to be open to sensations and sounds and images. So you can't really go around with a very thick skin. Yeah, so it is a it's a delicate balancing act, isn't it? It is indeed. It really is. Yeah, for sure. So you believe the world is somewhat against women aging. So how do you see ageism impacting women today? Well, I see a lot of women who are over 50 who are completely alone. Because the men are with someone 20 years younger. Because for a man, a 20-year younger woman is a improves his image, makes him look good. It's a kind of a prize. And I see a lot of men, particularly in New York, I think somewhat in in LA and other places, that they want to get that prize. They leave their wives and the wives don't want to be with someone 95. So that very often the women leave end up alone. And I think it's really very sad. You even see it in Hollywood, you know, um, they want the women, you can only be in the film if you're very beautiful, but as you age, it's a negative to get a facelift. That's just totally unfair. You have to stay beautiful, but they make fun of women who get facelifts. So it's a terrible bind. It's very unfair. What is your overall attitude toward getting older as a woman? How do you view it? Well, I do it by keeping my mind really, really, really active. My creativity, uh, I play the piano every day. I try to sing every day. I haven't been so good recently. Um, I exercise every day when things are normal, which they haven't been exactly normal recently. But um, I try to exercise every day. I read every day. I read a tremendous amount. Um, I'm lucky because I work on projects that, that I, right now I'm working on a novel set in Paris. So I'm studying the French people and what they, what characteristics really define them. And that's kind of fun. And uh, I've been doing a lot of um, oratorios about women, uh, which is really important to me. I'm doing an album called Courageous Women of Antiquity. That'll be my album that comes out in the fall. And it's about women who dared to be courageous against men in the Byzantine period, in the Roman period, because it says so much about how strong they were, that in those periods, which were all about men going to war and being strong, that they could raise up their hand and be um, strong and take point of view that was positive. Yeah, so you keep yourself intellectually sharp and that kind of levels out things, doesn't it? Constantly. I mean, life is very mental and very creative and it's so much of my day it's such a pleasure. And creativity is a great pleasure unless you're really stuck and you can't figure something out or you have to deal with a difficult editor that could be. <laughs> I think it'd be not quite as fun, is it? <laughs> not doesn't encourage creativity. They want what they want. So. Right, right, exactly. And two percent finished with this novel that the editor's been so difficult about, but I'm on the finish line, so that's good. And you can see the end of the tunnel, can't you? The light at the end of the tunnel. So... 
we're going to stay in this space because you mentioned about men. And sometimes it appears to you, at least, that men are women's worst enemy. So in what ways have you found this to be true along your journey to success? Men is the worst enemy. Uh, well, I think that um, they don't like to be challenged by women. A lot of them still have this idea that it's humiliating to have a woman do better than you. Um, I think that they try to solidify the walls around their space so you can't get into it. They feel that they'd rather be beaten by a man than by a woman, which is ridiculous. I raise my sons not to be like that. So it's so great that they're out in the world doing exciting things and they're not doing any of that stuff. So I try to impart into my children, who are all boys, uh, to be treat women as equals, and they really, really do. And when when women are exposed to what you described, what do you think it does to a woman? Do you think it dings her self-confidence? or I think it, it uh, certainly doesn't promote her productivity and her ability to express herself. I think women be, grow silent, been mm-hmm. silent when the men, men silence women. That's one of the things they do. They, you know, I remember I would speak up in a group like in business school and they would say, no, that's wrong. And um, they, that's one of the things they like to do, but they silence them in various invisible ways too. Yeah, it's interesting. Ready to speak up for yourself. Yeah, and I, I saw that myself when I was in my early years, even in back in college. I remember raising my hand to ask a question in engineering school. And I was like you, one of very, very few women in the class. And I remember the professor saying in front of the class, why are you even taking a space in this class? Oh, my gosh. That's you have no business being here as a woman. Terrific. And I, I can remember that. I remember his name. I remember the, the moment. And, and I, I stood my ground and I asked my questions. Was it a professor or the student who said It was that? a professor. Oh, my goodness. That's a Yeah. yeah. So another thing that women had, I remember at Stanford, the professors would hit on the women. I had that, too. It was awful. <laughs> awful because you were supposed to treat them with dignity and, uh, and they didn't act with dignity. Right. And you had to be, I just didn't go to their offices. All the men went to their offices, boys. Uh, I never went to a professor's office because you'd be in there all by yourself and it got creepy. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I went to an office one time and the professor made it very clear how I could get an A in the class. Uh And I'm like you, I, I, I left the the office and I felt so, um, I don't know, dirty, yucky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also, they really did go after women, young women, and I had terrible experiences with them. And so I learned to deal with things on my own and not rely on a professor. Right. Yeah, I understand. Hopefully it's much better for young women today. I know it is. So tell me, what is the worst and best advice you have ever been given? That I've ever received? Mm -hmm. That you've ever received. Some of the worst and some of the best. Oh, good question. Um, I think the best advice came from my positive psychology program. You know, as I said, no negative self-talk. But just to um, maintain a positive attitude even when things are going badly, to stay around positive people, I think that's the best advice I've ever received. And the worst advice would be um, to be more combative with other people to be more argumentative. That doesn't really help. It doesn't work. 
Yeah. You stand up for yourself, but that doesn't mean turning into a battle. Yeah. And sometimes we misread that advice, don't we? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And it doesn't really help. So, Georgia, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? Well, just to um, use your mind as much as you can and don't let anybody put down your intellectual creations and output. Never. You know, when you're a writer and you send things out to editors, it's very hard because you get rejected. You have to not take that rejection to heart. You have to realize that that was just one editor and that uh, there are a hundred others. And it has been in my life that most of the editors were men. And they tend to look at things from a male point of view and criticize them in that way. So you just have to move on to the next editor, send it to the next magazine. The first short story I ever wrote, I finished and I sent it to the New Yorker. Three weeks later, I got an Uh, a call from them saying we're putting it in the very next issue because it got so much attention and I got film offer a musical offer and an opera offer that was my first short story but I was the New Yorker was so great about it everyone was so supportive of course they're very fussy about grammatical things but that's fine And I think that's great wisdom to leave our listeners with today, for sure. Georgia, you have been an absolute delight. You have so much wisdom. You know, we could talk on for hours. You know that, don't you? And and Georgia is another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen, and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman story unfolds. 